to Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski, the show that highlights and celebrates the kinetic and potential energy in classrooms across the globe and why it matters. We're heard nationally wherever fine podcasts are available and weekly on the radio at Charleston, South Carolina's 1250 WTMA, Sunday mornings at 8, from right here at our home base in Charleston, South Carolina. And before we begin, I want to let you know you uh, are welcome to send in questions and comments when you visit the official website, thelearningring.com. That's T-H-E-L-E-A-R-N-I-N-G-R-I-N-G, thelearningring.com, where you can communicate directly with the queen of the show, Robin Berlinski. Robin, welcome to your show. Thank you. So again, before we introduce our special guest, let people know how else they can get in touch with you. Yeah, visit my Facebook page, The Learning Ring, and comment. Right now, I would love to know what state you teach in. We're trying to get followers from all 50 states, and I would love you to help me out with that. And then also, if you um, follow me on Instagram and comment there, we have lots of fun giveaways and questions, and recently gave away a $50 Starbucks card. So you really want to join us for that because it's a lot of fun. Uh, you always bring such great guests into the studio, and I'm going to presume this next one will be no exception. So let me do the official introduction to Mary Beth Clark, who is an actor, director, and arts educator. She is celebrating her 24th year with Charleston Stage, the professional theater in residence at the historic Dock Street Theater, where she's been the director of education and associate artistic director. And this coming May 2022, not to date this podcast, but just a few months from now, she will become Charleston Stage's artistic director. Congratulations Woo-hoo! and welcome to the show, Mary Beth Clark. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So the first thing is, how do you two know each other? Oh my gosh, I'm jumping in on this one. <laughs> that was the our, that was the whole point. <laughs> our daughters went to school together and oh my gosh, we gravitated toward each other. And yeah. not to get too deep into a lot of personal things, but we spent a lot of time out in my pool with... Yep wonderful summer drinks as our kids had fun in the pool and just really connected. And I just love, love, love her energy. Yeah. It's that, um, you know, daughters were friends, but also then you find the mom who seems like you, but you're a little afraid to assume. And then of course, our passion for the arts and for arts education led to um, a professional relationship. So we've uh, known each other. Our children are 22. So (laughs) looking at Robin, I don't know know. how old our kids are. So yeah, they were probably uh, just over kindergarten. So yeah, we've known each other a long time. So what was that that, uh, catalyst where you realized we're both cut from the same cloth? You remember that day or that time? I would say imperfection. Um, I'm always (laughs) slightly afraid of the PTA-type mom who seems to have it 100% together. Um, and Robin has it 100% together, but she doesn't need everyone to know that. Maybe that's the difference. Oh, that's a sweet way to say it. I love the imperfection part because I agree. It is that. It's that it's, pressure. Yeah. You're like, oh, gosh, I didn't want to. Uh, and competition. I think moms often compete, and I just was not into it. Um, so we were a lot chiller. And Well, uh, you know, and Mary Beth validated me because I was not the one making the reindeer-shaped sandwiches. You know, my kids would get Twinkies. You know, I, you got what came in a box, and that's the best I could do. And I'm not apologizing for that. And Mary Beth celebrated that and, and was the same. You know, it, it validated those feelings of I kind of like having mom guilt. So... That's part of my gravitation, too. Well, I think knowing Robin as I do, she always brings it. And and she walks the walk and talks the talk. And so far, everyone that's come in here is like, wow, these people are 
are the same. And I see the value. You bring somebody like yourselves into the classroom or on a stage, you're going to pay attention. Yeah, oh. and I think it's honesty. Yeah. I mean, part of it is um, there. I never felt there was like this facade to figure out who Robin was. And I think that's what we share when we talk about teaching, that the idea that no matter what you're teaching, they know who you are and you better bring who you are or nobody cares. <laughs> Can I share my favorite Mary oh, Beth please. story? Because talk about who you are. Okay, this is the epitome of what Mary Beth represents. So I do um, also work at Engaging Creative Minds, and Charleston Stage is, is one of our programs. And it was early on. I'd probably only been there a year or two, and I was meeting Mary Beth in a classroom. And so when I got there, and some of these details may be sketchy, but the point is cl- crystal clear. Too many drinks by the we, pool. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we were chatting in the front of the room. you know. So obviously, the, whatever was happening paused, and the students were sort of on their own. And all of a sudden, it was like some of them were may- maybe talking, and I'm chatting with Mary Beth, and she just turns her head around and says, raise your hand if you are talking. And the room went silent because they were not used to, like, oh, they thought she was going to say, like, stop talking. You, you know, don't do that anymore. And instead, she threw something completely out of the blue, and I was like, oh, I love this. She's got a certain something in front of the kids. One of our other mutual friends um, we cemented our friendship because she had the youngest of all of our children. So our kids are the same age. There's a younger one. And I was with them in a store and he was maybe four. And he said, can I get, you know, a candy bar or something in the checkout line? And I said, no, but thanks for asking. And we made it all the way to the car. And my friend turned to me and went, I have never seen anything like that in my life. And she also remains my close friend. Well, to this day. All right, so some of the stuff I've been prompted about you, which and I love this. Uh, Robin's giving a superpower to everybody that walks in the studio. Your superpower is reading a room and responding to the environment. Is that a fair assessment? I would say, I mean, I love it, yes. And part of that is, a part of it is the arts training. I mean, I'm an actor, so you need to know your audience. And as a director, I need to know the audience for all the actors. And as a teacher, I need to know my audience. So I would, that's a skill I've always worked on. So the fact that she thinks I have it is great. Superpower. Not a skill anymore. It's a superpower. So give us an example of what that looks like when you walk in and, you know, what are you looking for? And then how do you react? I guess, is that peeking through the curtain or looking through the glass in the door, all the students? I mean, you know, what's the process? I think in a classroom, it's, um, it's all the way in. You don't have to peek. You walk in that classroom and pretty quickly get a sense of the environment based on their teacher. Teachers have different styles. So how they approach, you know, a guest to the room, whether it makes the teacher uncomfortable, because sometimes teachers love people in their classroom, and sometimes it makes them a little uncomfortable. And my first thing is always to make that teacher even a little more comfortable and to say, you know, to ask for something from them. And other times, you know, I'll be like, if you're good, I've got this, so you can observe. So I think sometimes it's getting their uh, their teacher, the person in charge, to feel comfortable with you there. And then the kids are easy, to be honest. The kids are easy. All right, but let's take this skill of yours, and how would you communicate that to a teacher? Let me tell you what I suggest you do. Let me teach you how to engage or how to assess an audience before you walk in. I think that would be a very helpful tool. How do you explain that to somebody? Um, it has to do with observation. I often look, um, I look for the busiest child and the loudest child in a classroom um, because 
you want to capture the energy or the focus. So who's getting it right now? So there's that child who's by the window and is tapping a pencil and is flipping a lunchbox or whatever. That's the child I'm going to engage first because they already have the energy and the focus of the classroom. So I'm going to engage them to redirect that energy to me. And I think sometimes the idea that you put a child in a different, you know, you try to put them away, like you move their seat and put them where nobody can see them, is is how we were trained maybe traditionally. But sometimes pulling that kid right up front next to you and using that or trying to redirect it can be a more positive outcome and also save you a lot of time and energy because please be quiet focus, sit down. The kind of commands that children hear all day really fall on deaf ears. They hear it too much. So uh, I talk a lot about surprise. I teach a lot with surprise, um, just those examples Robin gave. But the idea that all of that energy, I'm going to ask it to come up next to me and say, okay. So I walked into a third grade class and we were teaching and the boys, no matter what we said, they would fall down. Because third grade boys love to fall on the Literally ground. Literally fall down. Fall on the ground. Like we would, you know, we were moving as if we were, I forget what we were studying, probably social studies. I do a lot of social studies work. So we were doing something and they would fall on the ground. So I stopped class and I said, raise your hand if you like to fall on the ground. Excellent. <laughs> so everybody sit down. Okay, you guys, every time I count to three, fall on the ground. So we did one, two, three, fall on the ground. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. So after about the fifth time, they were like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I went, well, okay, we're going to do it one more time. And then we're not going to do it anymore today if you don't want to. And they were like, okay. And then that was over. There was no more falling on the ground. We just did our lesson. So I think it's embracing what you see and trying to figure out what to do with it. But are these tools that you came up with on your own or did someone else nurture you in your past? Or do you even know where it comes from? I think it's a combination. I think that's a great question because... Uh, people often ask me for the book, like the book about teaching and integrating the arts into teaching and teaching. And I'm like, oh, if if only, if only there were a book. Um, but I think it it comes from me being willing to take on new experiences, um, especially things that I wasn't as familiar with. Jumping in and watching what other people did. I, as a very young teacher, taught at a school for the overprivileged in a different state. Overprivileged. Very, very privileged children. What a a beautiful way of putting it. Well, and that, so I was the drama teacher and had pre-kindergarten through fifth grade. And then I was in my mid-20s maybe. And then 10 years older than me was an art teacher. And 20 years older than me was a music teacher. And luckily, these women really embraced collaboration. So I had the best first three years of teaching anyone could have because our arts were different, our styles were different, but the idea of connecting with children was the same. And I just learned so much from them um, and have applied that. I still have books that I use then, you know, with one or two little things circled, like a, a rhyme or a poem or something that I still use from those women um, back in Tampa, Florida. So that's cool. Were you always an actor uh, in your childhood that you put on shows in the living room? And uh... Well, I'm the youngest of five, so it's kind of hard to get noticed. There's Especially there's <laughs> a gap. that's why you became an actor. <laughs> and that's why I became an actor. So I also, my um, because of the age gap, when I was 17, I was the only child at home, and my we lived in Connecticut. So I was going to a public high school with, you know, 100 kids in my graduating class. And my f- parents told me that they were moving to f- Tampa, Florida, where I would go for my senior year into a 
high school with 1,100 people in my class. And I was not excited about that and reacted as only a mean 17-year-old girl can, which was with silence. So my father somehow figured out that I could start college. So I never graduated from high school. I just went to college. And it's like and when, he, when he did that, I need to pick a major. And I sometimes think I pick the major just to continue to annoy them. But at that point, it was also the one thing in my life that I enjoyed doing. So I never knew that about yeah, you. Yeah, I don't have a high school degree, people. I have a college degree. No, I didn't get a GRE. I just went to college. And somehow nobody, I don't know. Wow. So, that's awesome. But I do think it taught me uh, somehow not to be afraid to jump into a new experience, even well, if way, you may not be ready. We just got an email from one of our listeners who said, <laughs> your college degree has now been rescinded. You didn't that's Okay. <laughs> The University of South Florida. Well, I've not been giving money as an alum. I don't really respond to those for the football (laughs) team. I don't support that much. So, I know that uh, there's some history we want to talk about, especially as it relates to uh, the Dock Street Theater. But first, Robin, I know, has seen you on stage before. I have. uh, Many times. But, um, well, as a director, mostly. But Mm -hmm. um, I know you brought me to tears in, in the Steel Magnolias. Show, do you, just out of curiosity, do you have a favorite show? Well, I just, I'm, I don't act as often. I said the you work for a theater company if you want to stop acting. So I, uh, <laughs> my needs, there, are, there are many, many talented actors in the world, so I am less necessary. But last season, um, we did Blythe Spirit, and there's a character of Madame Arcati. So if it, I think of a certain age and somewhat crazy, I do claim those roles. So that's the last role I did. And I had a really good time, but part of it was being on stage with the young actors that I hire and bring to town and being able to be with them as actors. So that was, one, they're incredibly talented, so I was just mesmerized by them. And um, also, it's just fun. And it is fun for uh, Dock Street audiences to see me sometimes as an actor. I want to jump in. Can I jump in, Ron? It's your show. You, so you brought something up, and it brings me right to this. I need to know something. So, again, one of my earlier memories of you is like going to Tennessee, and you were going to recruit mm-hmm. resident actors. Yeah, right? large, yeah, big yep. cattle call auditions. So, yeah. So I want to know. So here's a big question. So what are you looking for? How do you know in an audition that someone's going to be a good fit for your company there has to be some kind of energy you're feeling when you watch them on stage or maybe when you talk to them. But 100%. Like, you're special. Don't you want to get people that you, you can help? Well, nurture? I do that. The first, so there's, there's about 700 auditions and they have 90 seconds. So they do a monologue and a song in 90 seconds. And I'm wow. with my music director. In that 90 seconds, we see a basic skill level, um, sometimes intrigued by material they chose or whatever. So then we call people back. We typically call back of 700, maybe 50. Wow. And then we talk to them. And I'll tell you, my work starts in the room. I am sitting there talking to you. It's things like, do you look engaged? Do you look like you want to talk to me? Do you look like you want to work here? I also have started a thing where on my door of the callbacks, I post a list that says, do not consider this program if. And it says, you consider your, you you insist on referring to your voice as your instrument. Oh, God. (laughs) You, um, You do not. You do not respect children and have a desire to learn about teaching them. Good one. Um, I forget the other ones. That's but those really are smart. some of the main ones. And I've heard, like, some people, they come in, that's so funny what you wrote on the door. And I said, it is funny, but I mean it. <laughs> 
So you might want to think about that. So, and there, I've heard people who read it and go, well, I'm not going to that callback because did you see what was on her door? And I'm like, great, good, great. You should not ever work here. And it's really, a, it's our contract's a year. So if we're in a room and I don't, your voice irritates me. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to hire you because I have to talk to you for a See year. I love her. Good for you. <laughs> if you're just joining us, our special guest is Mary Beth Clark. She's an actress, director, actor, excuse me, we've changed that, director and arts educator celebrating her 24th year with Charleston Stage, the professional theater in residence at the historic Dock Street Theater, which is my next question. Tell us about the historic and gorgeous Dock Street Theater and what it's like to work there and have access to it and the history and, you know. it's fast it's amazing we are so, i am so spoiled and when i go out of town or talk to friends who work in theater i am reminded how lucky i am so we are we're considered the theater in residence there um people often call charleston stage the dock street theater which we've embraced now it's like fine i'll be a building you call me whatever you want <laughs> um it's just a beautiful space it's owned by the city so we have you know when people call and ask for a tour i can't necessarily help you but it is it has 463 seats but it's incredibly intimate you feel very close to that stage um my favorite thing to do is to bring our young actors in when they first start and um, watch them look at the theater. And the other thing I love to do, and we've done this with galas, um, is bring our board members and donors and things up on stage because the best view of that theater is from standing on stage, not in the audience, and you see the work. Many know that that was um, uh, rebuilt or renovated as a WPA project. So I didn't know that. Yeah, it's the history is it's on the site of the first theater built in America to be a theater which is a lot of words that says there were tons of theaters in America, but they were often part of something else. They were a saloon. They were in an old building. This was built to be the theater and then promptly burned down or was gone. It was a hotel, the longest planner's hotel, and then it was renovated to become the Dock Street. And as a WPA project, the woodwork, the plaster work, there's beautiful craftsmanship in that building. And we had a renovation maybe nine or 11 years ago, and just the levels of um, work that was revealed because the layers of paint were taken away and the soot and things that had damaged were taken away. So yeah, it's a beautiful space. Even if you don't see a show, which you should, you should definitely make sure that you stop in and look at that theater if you're ever in Charleston. Well, let's take this to the next level and talk about Charleston stage and, and what it does for students. Are there classes? Are there uh, camps? Are there other events? There's all of that. Um, Charleston Stage began 45 years ago, and our founder and producing arts district director, Julian Wiles, who is stepping down at the end of this season, started it as a theater for youth. He um, he was 25 years old. He had, was at Camp St. Christopher, which most people in the area know well, and really fell in love with the idea of theater and working with young people. So that's how it started. Through the years, we've evolved to become a professional theater, but we have classes. Um, we have after-school classes. We do in-school workshops. And in the past, coming out of the pandemic, we realized that our connection to our community was not where we needed it to be. So we've recently added um, after-school classes because there are children whose families can't get them to us or can't pay for that. And that's okay. So we've started a program called City Stage that is completely funded. So we were in three schools um, after school offering free acting classes to kids, um, free to the school, free to the child. And that program um, has really meant a lot to me and watching it grow. So what kind of responses are you seeing from some of these kids, you, these, these sort of renaissance from the ashes, these kids that maybe were 
you know, unhappy, depressed, whatever, and whole new life comes to them through this program. One of the best stories is I um, I have resident actors. So I have young actors who have degrees in theater and they're 20, usually 22 to, I think the oldest is 26 this year. And um, I have a young man who last year started with me and he went in and at this particular school, they didn't have the kids sign up. They just assigned them because they didn't know what theater was. So they weren't signing up for something. They didn't know what it was. So they came in, they were staring at my staff and one little boy, um, turned to my teacher and said, your hair matches my hair. And my teacher is black. This child was black. And then the relationship began. And I really felt like part of that was that he recognized himself in that young man. And I don't know, you know, that he had seen an actor of color up close before. By the end, those kids are begging to go. We're in our second year. Um, they when it was the end of the year and they had to say goodbye, that same little boy went to hug my teacher and was in tears. Are you coming back? When will I see you? Now, this time I did actually, sometimes I keep them for two years. He is back and he is at that school, but it it meant a lot to that child. It also meant a lot to that teacher and to our programming to say it, it does matter. It does matter that these kids are seeing people that look like them and they're learning something new. All right, Robin, you have a, one more question, I think. Yeah, I really just want to talk about, because, um, you know, our daughters are the same age, and we want to be great mothers, and we're, we're teachers, and we're in education. And, you know, I've, I've known you for many years, and we've both navigated through a lot of life, personally, professionally, life happens. You know, we deal with things. But it's our energy, you and I both, that mm-hmm. keeps us moving forward. It's that positivity. It's that, you know, universal knowledge that something great is coming back at us. And I, I just wonder, you know, as a mother, as a mentor to these youth, is there a technique or anything you find successful for teaching that? Because kids, you know, I know my own daughter can get negative sometimes mm-hmm. and want to not go down that road. I, I recently, and this is one of those things, I often things fly out of my mouth and then, but I haven't really thought about that. <laughs> but this one it flew never out. happens to us. Yeah. This one flew out of my mouth and it really worked. And I was talking about a friendship and then I recently reused it talking to my, to my other daughter, but to one of my daughters. So I was talking to a friend about friendship and I said, you know, it's really kind of like a seesaw. There's times when I sink to the very bottom and I'm on the ground like miserable, but at some point. I have to get off my large behind and allow you to come down and to find that balance. And in talking to my daughter, I said, you know, you can stay down there as long as you want, but you're leaving somebody up hanging in the air. (laughs) And so what are you going to do? Are you going to put your feet down and push a little and try what it might feel like not to be at the bottom? And then what the heck? While you're there, why not just soar up for a minute and see what that feels like? And then sure, you're going to crash down again, but are you going to sit there or are you going to play? What are you going to do? And I think that, you know, it's easier said than done. I get it. But ultimately, we decide that. You decide that. And I sometimes pick days. I'm miserable today. I'm going to be miserable. I don't want to be happy. Please don't encourage me to be happy. I This is a sad day, and I'm going to be sad today. Yeah. And then the next day, I think I choose something else. I mean, these I are like that. great lessons yeah. for everybody. Right. But, because it's they're from theater and art, and everybody needs that. 
<laughs> so true. So I get true. the passion there. All right, here's a question out of left field that Robin wants us to ask every guest that comes in here. Who was your favorite teacher? Mr. Cox. Bruce Cox, fifth grade. See how quickly people come up I with know, these I amazing. love it. Yeah. Um, fifth grade. He, he was a fifth grade teacher. I'd never had a male teacher. Looking back, I'm sure he didn't want to be a teacher. I think he was just like, like hanging around trying to figure something out. But it was his whole not the typical approach that fascinated me. I was just fascinated by the way he, you know, talked to us and moved around the classroom because it just wasn't in the same. And I think he only taught a year. I think he was gone after that. But I just, I still remember his name. I remember the his wedding picture in the newspaper, our little town paper. Um, and yeah, I remember him encouraging us to read Um giving us, putting dictionaries on our desk and and saying, it wasn't like a chore. It, it was like a find, I remember something about finding the word. Why don't you find the word that says it better? Or, I don't know. It was just this whole approach. And I can I can picture him. Um, and I was in Tolland, Connecticut. So that's where Bruce Cox taught. If anyone in Tolland, Connecticut. I don't think he was ever a teacher after that, but Good One job. Year. You were lucky. Good you job, got him. Mr. Cox. Yeah. When you say Connecticut, it's kind of like that. Connecticut. <laughs> I know. Well, I kind of feel like that one. <laughs> that was that over overprivileged school you were talking about earlier. No, the overprivileged school is in Tampa. Oh. Right by the Air Force Base. So I'll just mention that, you know, it was during um a conflict. So the general Schwarzkopf's child and people like that were in that oh, school. Wow. So and, and was this Mr. Cox the one who encouraged you to get into drama or was that another teacher? That that didn't happen till a little later, middle school. And I don't, again, we had we had really good arts in our schools. By sixth grade, we all selected an instrument. And you just like picked it, like, I'm going to play that. And then they taught you how to play it. I played clarinet badly, by the way. But, um, but I played through high school. And and they also, in seventh and eighth grade, did a full musical. We did My Fair Lady Oh my! when gosh. I was in seventh grade. Wow. Like, what? And that was Mr. Dixon, Ronald Dixon, the band teacher, and did the musicals. What? I, yeah, that's crazy. I did it. So I think it's that kind of exposure. And it was very natural at that point in public school to have all that. So looking back, can you imagine yourself doing anything else for a career? Not really, but my fallback based on my brothers is I I could have or should have been a lawyer, depending on the day, because I watch my brothers and it's very similar. I can see that. It's very similar. I could have been a lawyer. I just don't really (laughs) like to read all that stuff and go to law school, but I could have. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, you're here in the studio, so you get to work with us as we wrap up the show. A great show. Thanks to Mary Beth Clark for being our guest today. And I want to remind you, you're listening to Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski. And Robin, you have just enough time to tell us how everybody can communicate with you when the show is not on. Absolutely. Robin at thelearningring.com. Email me with questions, thoughts, or guests you want to suggest that have high energy in the classroom. Like my Facebook page, The Learning Ring, and follow my Instagram page and comment. I would love to know what state you teach in. All right, Mary Beth, you got 10 seconds. How do people get in touch with you at Charleston Stage? M. Clark at charlestonstage.com or just go to the website which is very well laid out and you can find me i like that it makes me want to pick up the phone or send an email (laughs) all right we'll see you next time folks you've been listening to energy matters in the classroom with robin berlinski 